Hi, I'm Melissa. Hi, I'm Kara, and you're listening to Cultivated Conversations. A space where we talk about life, family, work, where we're getting it right, and where we're getting it wrong. And what it means to live and purchase ethically in a fast-moving world. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, pull a seat up at the table, and know that wherever you are on your journey, you belong, and we are so glad you've joined us. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Kara, your host. And today I'm actually sitting in Chicago with my dear friend, Megan. We just went to a community development conference and I have invited her on today to talk about the holidays and ethical giving. And so I'm just really excited about this conversation. Megan, welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Megan and I have worked together for over eight years, and before that I actually volunteered for her at the organization we worked together at. But Megan, tell us a little bit about your family, how you got into this work, all that good stuff. So I've been working for Beloved Trading and the organization that it is underneath the larger umbrella organization um, for like 14 years, and then I volunteered and worked during the summers before that. So. Um, I've had a few years under my belt of working um, in this work, but... Megan, you're talking about you've been at this organization for 14 years, Mm -hmm. which I think is really hilarious to a point because Megan and I were just at this conference, and so many times people think we're like 23. Because we look really good. (laughs) Good skincare. Good skincare. And don't realize we are pushing our way to 40, um, and that she's been with an organization for 14 years plus because you started yeah so I started um when I was in high school we had a youth group that um would help with the summer camp a part of the organization that I work for puts on a remedial education program during the summer and so my youth group would volunteer and put on like an end of the summer send off back to school outdoor camp and so I did that for a couple years fell in love with the families and the kids and just um what was going on in the city that I lived in. And so when I was in college, I went back and interned for three years during the summer for that remedial education program. Um, Finished college, thought I was gonna do something else, and then realized that that was where my heart was. And so I came crawling back (laughs) asking for a job or vice versa, they came crawling to me asking for me to stay. I like to go with the latter. But anyway, so I've been there ever since and I've had lots of different roles within the organization from working in that summer remedial education program to volunteer coordinating to a lot of admin work. Um, and then now most recently focusing on job training, job readiness um, and starting up social enterprise to help grow the funds within the organization and then also preparing men, women, and youth um, to be ready to work. Awesome. So we're using this term community development. Um, This is not we're building buildings in downtown Tulsa. Can you give us just a brief what that is? Yeah, so community development is a term I guess I use without thinking, but it's definitely a relationship building term more so than a structural building term, but it focuses on a lot of social justice issues, so fair housing, education inequalities, lack of jobs in a community. Typically, community developments are in lower income communities, and so we talk about developing community, which is laughable sometimes because when you go into those communities, those where 
are where relationships are often strong and you see families and neighbors that really um, know each other and stick up for each other and are there to care for each other. So those are the strengths that we see oftentimes. And so it's really just helping build bridges outside of their community sometimes or fighting systems that are um, creating oppression and not allowing them to grow beyond where they're at. Lots of other things around that, but that kind of is a general definition that I would give. Description. Yeah. Ooh, systems that create oppression. We'll just have to have a whole other podcast on that one. So tell us about Beloved Trading. What do you guys do? Who are you working with? If you follow us on Instagram, if you've followed me at all, you know I love Beloved Trading. I eat all their honey, use all their lip balm. But tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, my boss and I have been dreaming for many years um, of starting a social enterprise. And we have a list of probably 50 or so business ideas. I use business in quotes because some of them are less businessy than others. Um, and so we've just been dreaming about what that could look like for our organization for a long time. And one of the things our organization does is feed people. And so we have acquired quite a bit of property um, just right outside of the downtown area in hopes of doing farming and um, having livestock so that we would not be dependent on others to provide us food. The social enterprise that we started is a bit random in my book, so I like to give the backstory so that people understand how we got here. So we have 150 acres and we have a volunteer that is a beekeeper and so they said, hey, we have some extra bees that we need land for. Let's see how they do on your property. And so that kind of created interest and just opportunity for us to grow keeping bees and then harvesting, bottling, and selling the honey. And then also using beeswax products to make other products like lip balm, beard balm. We now have lotion bars. We have other um, beard oil. Boot wax. Boot wax. We have boot wax. Um, all using beeswax except for the oil does not. And so... That's kind of how it got started. We also have a screen printing business and that all started with the same project of, we have what we named Beloved Trading and the lady who was making our shirts was needing to get out of the screen printing business and get rid of her equipment. And so she offered to sell it to us and to teach us how to use that equipment. And so we've also taken that under a wing and learning how to do that as well. And so all of this is great and well and just creates more work for us, except we have the Larger Umbrella Organization has residential recovery programs for men and now within the last six months for women. And part of their recovery is just making sure that they're ready to go back to work when they leave us. And so they are all assigned work experience around the mission. So um, that can look very differently, but we wanted them to also have experience in our social enterprise um, and so they help us with every facet of what we do so if the beekeeping part of it the bottling the labeling the making of the shirts so every every part of our social enterprise they're working alongside of us or doing that part of the work for us I love this because okay you were saying it's seems random the business type and so in our town in Tulsa when you say the larger organization people know generally that we're a homeless shelter and we feed people and so I actually was out helping with one of the honey harvests and got stung I had to go to like an urgent care because my leg was swelling up 
apparently I'm allergic and I didn't know that. But I was telling them that they were asking me how I got stung. Am I sh was I sure that it was a bee? I was like, well, there were tons of bees around. So I'm pretty sure. And the lady was like, where do you work? And when I told her, she just gave me the funniest look like, how at a homeless shelter did you get stung by a bee? And there were tons of bees around. So I had to go into that long backstory. Yes. <laughs> and it's just amusing as well because... There's a lot of, um, I always say it's healing to be out in nature. And except for when you get stung, I guess, that's not <laughs> healing. But for um, our men and women in recovery, being out in nature and learning something new, there's just something restorative about that part of it. And I don't think that that's an element that we considered when getting into the mm -hmm. business, but it works and you wouldn't believe those are the kinds of comments that you hear when taking, when we do harvest days the men and women out and out to the hives for them to see that and to experience that there's something therapeutic about the buzzing noise and seeing um how nature works and there's just a lot of correlation to how the bees work and how we should work as a society and as a people and that relates to them in their recovery in their healthy relationships and so like i said none of that was something that we had considered when getting into into this business but something that has just really worked out and is a lot of teachable moments in that i love that so you have men and women that come monday through friday from the recovery programs and work in beloved trading that's right monday through friday and they have about a two to three hour window that they're working somewhere around the mission and so they're you know 15 hours during the week is with us can you tell us, I know being in this organization for so long, we want to tell stories of people whose lives are changed through Beloved Trading, and we want it to tie up in a nice, neat little bow and be like, look, this is amazing. But recovery is messy, and this work is really messy. Can you tell us, I know you've worked with guys that leave the program, and you like we have so much hope for their future, and finishing the program and then they just leave but can you tell us a story of one of the gentlemen in the program and yeah as they've worked with beloved trading how it's benefited them and yeah all that so we so beloved trading's really only been around for about two years and so we really have not had a ton of men and women our recovery programs come through our training programs but we've had probably 10 or so come through and so it's just been neat because every everybody's story and everybody's strengths bring dif something different into our company at this point point. and so I think one of the stories that I cherish most is a gentleman and he came into our recovery program and he's around my age and he was so the, he's almost 40 so he's he's probably younger than me he'd probably be offended if he heard me say that he was my age but Let's just say he's in his 30s. And he was in the business world and climbing the corporate ladder as one does and found himself an addiction. And that led to health complications and um, relationship strife with his wife and his kids. And he ended up in at the mission. And so through his recovery, um, he came and worked with Beloved, and it was a lot of fun just to see him learning something new, which is a big part of 
also a benefit of the um, couple of businesses that we've started so far is very few people come in knowing how to do beekeeping or screen printing and so everybody starts from scratch and so this little learning process of learning something new is always fun to watch but he quickly became really proud of the work that we were doing. Um, he enjoyed being out at the bees, he enjoyed screen printing and learning and um, doing everything and one of the really cool things was that he was um, that pride he was able to tell his family about. He has two beautiful little girls um, and a wonderful wife and so he was able to tell them what he was doing on a daily basis and so he even had them come out and he would take them and show them the bees and they would come out to our sales and they would buy the shirts and wear the shirts and use the lip balm and it was something that he could say that he was making and he was doing and so while he was away from them for a year which is how long our recovery program is they were able to be connected to him and vice versa and so for this gentleman it was parts of recovery were really hard and not all of it is as dignifying coming from the business world and being professional and living in you know the shelter and just a lot of those components and so having something that he was doing on a daily basis that gave him pride and dignity helped I think energize through the rest of the program so that was really neat to see and on his graduation day just to see his family excited about him he was ready to go out and conquer the world and he did for a while had a great job that we were able to help set him up with um, and that worked out for a while but recovery is a lifelong battle and so relapse hit him and hit him hard and hit him pretty quick um, and so he struggled with that and so just because they have great experiences through work and through even a great program um, out in the real world things hit you again and so relapse happened he's back working again and still you know struggling and battling with it every day but doing from what I know pretty decently at this point so yeah I love what you said about his wife and his daughters and them coming out to the honey sales and wearing the t-shirts and he was able to take pride in that but also I feel like just in listening to your story his family was able to take pride in like my dad made this my dad works with bees my dad you know yeah, absolutely I think every I mean every dad dreams that their kids would be proud of them and you could just see it in their eyes they were excited about it it was something different and new and um, I think they could sense his energy and um, excitement around it too so I love that so one of the big reasons why I wanted you to come on is because we are entering this giving season it's November and People are going to have many different options for giving this season, and they this is when people tend to think about um, giving financially and volunteering their time and things like that. And being in this world for a while, there's just some, I think, some ethics behind where we give, and we don't want to just, the next person that says they're going to go feed the homeless on the streets of Tulsa, like, we don't want you to just run out and give them money. There are people that have strategies and long-term goals and some some history of making a difference that you know those things are good to look at so in that tell us what's the difference this is big we talked about what community development is mm -hmm. but what is that versus emergency help they both have their place yeah so emergency relief or mercy relief 
often, I think my best example probably for that and when it works and when it's necessary is when there's a, a crisis. So if there's a hurricane or a natural disaster or um, a fire or something, that kind of category, when people are, mass amount of people or even, you know, one family loses everything. I think emergency help and mercy help when you come in and you just wrap around them and you say, okay, here's some water, here's a new bed, here's some clothes, here's some food. Those are things that in the moment they're, they desperately need. But once those needs are met and they're able to restabilize, they're able to start providing for themselves on that. And so the, the emergency relief is temporary. So you can pull out and, and they're okay. What has happened in our society, I think all across the globe, is we have not pulled out with emergency and mercy relief. We continue to give, and so communities of people all of a sudden are become dependent and reliant on those emergency reliefs, and they don't start working to meet those needs themselves when they have the, the capability, the resources to do so. And so that's, does that help describe the difference for you? So emergency and mercy relief for me is a temporary relief type of thing where community development is a marathon. It lasts for a really long time. And it often involves a lot of relationship building, a lots of lots and lots of ups and downs where we get it right and we get it wrong on both sides of things, um, the helper and the those being helped. But there's also that role of who's helping and being helped also transfers back and forth as well. So the community that, that I live in helps me a lot. They teach me um, about what it's like to be a good neighbor. They teach me what it's like to have long suffering. They teach me what it's like to fight for what I believe in. They teach me a lot of things and I'm a learner just as well as a participant in the community. And so there's not like defined roles of helper and helped in community development as much as there is an emergency relief. Yeah. I've heard it described like, it's like if you break your leg, mm-hmm. we've got to stop the bleeding. Yeah. We've got to get it reset. Yep. But then we don't keep putting a bandage on it. We've got to go to rehab. We've got to, and then you've got to do your daily exercises. And then, then you can get back walking on your own. And Yep. But if we only ever just put the bandage on over and over again, yep. that just sounds silly. <laughs> the break is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as people this season are looking where they want to give, where they want to volunteer, what should they be looking for in an organization? I often tell people that they should first start looking for organizations that mean something to them, something that they can get excited about. Um, and I think that's okay. We can't all be excited about all of the needs all over the place. I think that it's overwhelming, number one. Yeah. Um, and I don't have enough resources to help with all of those things. And so something that I can be passionate about and care about, I think, is a starter. So if food insecurity is something that, like, really tugs at your heart, then then look for an organization that deals with food insecurity. If it's um, the orphan crisis or foster care, then look for an organization that's that's working with children in that realm. And so I think it starts with what tugs at your heart. And I think I think that we all have something that's kind of a discon- a holy discontent, a something that like just when you're sleeping at night like you just can't shake it, the feeling of like what's happening with these people or this community because of this crisis. And so I think starting there 
and then diving into first locally, like what is going on in your own neighborhood and your own community um, with that subject. Um, sometimes I think we know of these like larger, bigger organizations and like those are our first jump twos, but I think it's just amazing when you look at that a lot of these things are happening in your own backyard. It, yeah, I could list off all the, all the issues, but like human trafficking, I think sometimes we want to think isn't happening in our own communities. And so we go for big organizations and then all of a sudden you realize someone's doing that here. Um, so something that you're passionate about, something that's local, and then really just getting to know the organization. And I think starting on their website and reading for yourself, asking your friends, hey, do you know anything about so-and-so? Um, what do you know that they do? Are you seeing an impact somewhere? Are you, do you see, yeah, just their footprint in your community or in the globe, wherever you're looking at? That's a good place to start. And then I think then your next part is calling them and, and starting to, to have the conversation. Where If you're going to put your finances into something, you really need to know where those finances are going. If you're going to put your time into it, which sometimes is most of the time more valuable than our mm -hmm. financial resources, but we don't always look at it that way, then you really need to know what you're going to be a part of. Yeah. Sometimes I get to listening to you. Mm -hmm. And I just am so engaged in what you're saying. My next question just leaves me completely. You've just learned to get, go along the train with my rambling. So <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. Just to recap, what's tugging at your heart? Mm -hmm. Look locally and then go to the website and make sure. What are they looking for when they're on the website? Yeah, so I think, I mean, hopefully every website's going to tell you what they do. I mean, yeah. what, what they're about what values the organization has. even Sometimes even the history is important. Where have they come from? Hopefully they have something, you know, where they're headed, what their goals are for their future and what they're doing. They should have statistics on um, some of the outcomes that they've been able to accomplish. We've been able to serve this many meals in this amount of time. We've been able to shelter or we've been able to help rescue or whatever the, the field that you're looking at. They should have some hard numbers of what they're accomplishing and what they're doing. And then hopefully if it's a relational type organization, they have stories and you can read those stories of the individuals and the people. But like my friend who um, worked in Beloved Trading, it it is hard to tell stories sometimes in relational work because the bow is not always there. And so I think that, that is, those are really great, but I don't think that that's a requirement for an organization to be able to have a story with a, a pretty bow at the end. Hey, I love what you said, looking at their long-term goals. Can you ask to go visit the organization? I say yes with a caveat. Okay. Um, there are organizations, especially nonprofit organizations, are typically running on very few staff. And so you asking to take their time to come and to visit and to tour is asking something of them. It shouldn't be an expectation. Talking to them on the phone, if you can have conversations that way and feel good about it, I think that's great. Asking them if they have like a set time during this month or this quarter. So planning ahead is really huge. So right now, as it is the holidays, most nonprofit organizations are over overwhelmed, overworked. And so you may not be able to get plugged in to give your time, your resource of time. Finances, you, you can still get that in by the end of the year. But um, so it may be looking forward to what can I do in 2019 to be able to, to serve. And so I say, yes, you can visit, but I think 
being willing to be flexible and you make the sacrifice. So maybe the person that gives tours is only there nine to five, Monday through Friday. So you may have to give up time at your work and on your lunch break to go visit them and not ask the nonprofit staff to always be the one to work the extra hours and give the extra time, which may sound harsh, but that's, it's just hard to accommodate all the people that want to come and visit sometimes. Yeah. And I think having worked at an organization and been someone that who gave tons of tours, I think that's, gosh, was so refreshing when people would, they were willing to be flexible themselves instead of me always having to stay late or come in on a Saturday when that's the time with my family. And mm-hmm. now there's something that goes around about this time every year on what percentage of an organization's finances actually go back to what they're doing. And, you know, Megan knows she's smiling right now because she knows <laughs> I'm very opinionated about this topic. And one of the reasons, like, I sat at a breakfast a few years back and it was with this group that was giving to all these different organizations and they just brought us all together to kind of network and see what each other were doing and how this organization was serving all of us and there's this nice organization in town one of the things they said and you Megan knows it rubbed me the wrong way was that they said they are a true nonprofit. all of their finances a hundred percent go toward their clients and I know she wasn't meaning to be like, and all the rest of you at this table are not. But what is that significant? So we're seeing this chart that goes around saying this organization 100% goes to their mission and their cause. This organization only, you know, this amount goes. That's an important conversation to have because you don't want to give to someone that only 10% is going toward the mission. But tell us about that. So most foundations and large corporations are looking for a balance of 80% of your budget going towards um, programming and 20% towards fundraising and administrative costs. And administrative being like you get paid. Administrative being those that are have no direct, their job is not a direct program relationship. So let's say that your organization does sheltering. So the overnight supervisor who's supervising the shelter guest overnight, that person's salary goes towards program expense. Okay. But the person who is leading the organization as the president, um, who's raising the funds, who's their day-to-day job is not directly related to the program, that is all going towards that 20% of admin and development fundraising expenses. And so I think that's important. I think as in any finances, in my opinion, I'm not, I am no expert on this topic. I'll go back (laughs) and say that I am no expert on this topic and I'm no accountant, no financial planning background, any of those kinds of things. However, for organizations that have large budgets, they have to have staff that's dedicated to raising funds. Um, At our organization, I don't want our after-school teacher to be worried if they are going to have a paycheck, if they don't get a grant completed and turned in, or if they don't go, you know, we were in Chicago this weekend and someone was standing on the street trying to raise money for a nonprofit organization. Like, that is not what I want 
those folks focused on. I want them focused on ensuring that the kids that are coming in our doors have a safe place, have educational activities, are taken care of while they're entrusted to us. And so an organiz- a healthy organization is going to have a group of people that's raising funds for them. And then also it's just really important that for the health of an organization that their staff are developed, that their staff is healthy emotionally, mentally. And so making sure that they are working together as any corporation or business would be, I think that's a part of any healthy organization for or nonprofit, that those things are going on. And so all of that comes out of that 20% along with other things. I mean, it just, it costs money to have technology and have those, you know, have all the all the things that we probably take for granted and forget that cost money. Um, and so that stuff comes out of that 20%. So thank you for explaining that. My non-expert explanation. <laughs> no, I think that's great because I want people to know what they're looking at when that yeah. graphic starts going around this time of year. And I just, I mean, obviously I work for a nonprofit and the nonprofit I work for takes really good care of its employees. But um, when you start looking at some of the problems that our nonprofits are working on in our communities, um, it takes intelligent people. It takes hardworking people. And those people have gone to school and they are creatives and intellectuals. And if they were working in the corporate world, would be making more money than they're making in the nonprofit world. And that's just a fact. And so it is important to pay people um, and to allow them to to live without worrying about where their food is coming from. I just was talking to a lady yesterday who works at a nonprofit and asking her what her husband did. And she was like, oh, he couldn't work in the nonprofit or we wouldn't have food in our table. And that's not a fair thing to do to um, people who are working hard to solve some of our community's problems and working with those in the margins. So, yeah, I agree. 100%. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to a little bit different topic, but let's talk about volunteering. It is your favorite topic (laughs) and my favorite season for volunteering. It is, I still get, I used to be a volunteer coordinator, so I'm going to ask Megan these questions and she'll probably go, well, what do you think? Um, But I still get texts on where people can volunteer because it's November and this is what people think. I should volunteer now. And actually, there's a new movie coming out in a few weeks about foster parents. Um, It's called Instant Family. And one of their previews cracks me up because the potential foster father says his wife is wanting to foster kids. And he says, oh my gosh, foster parents are really special people. They're people that volunteer not on the holidays. We don't even volunteer <laughs> on the holidays. And I started dying laughing. So tell us, people are getting this great idea. Even as I said volunteer, they're like, oh, yeah, I should find a place for my family to do that. So I think the the push to volunteer actually is a, somewhat tied to organizations pushing for um, financial donations. So we probably have may have created this problem <laughs> ourselves because... Typically for an organization, the last quarter of the year brings in the most resources or revenue for an organization. Um, People are, you know, figuring out what they need to pay to get the tax write-off and all those things. And so a lot of nonprofits are out in using their marketing dollars during the season. And so the name's out there, so it clues people in. And 
really people are just generous. People oh, love yeah. people, and when they see that the there's a need, they want to do more than give their money. And I think that that is um, nothing but to be commended, truly. And so there is this this joke, you know, that all the people come out at Thanksgiving and Christmas to volunteer, but I know that their heart typically is in a spot where they really truly do want to give. So saying all of that. And some of our best volunteers started at Thanksgiving. Yeah, for sure. So really good people want to do that. So I still say if it's something that you want to do, call and find out what's going on. But like I said earlier, like planning ahead, knowing that like if they say no, we're full, like there's a whole year. Like this can get you spurred on to something that maybe you can tie into a New Year's resolution or just a plan for your family for the upcoming year. So I said all that because I ramble and now I forgot your question. So when they call, they call, they say they're full of volunteers this season. It does happen. Mm -hmm. At our shelter, we serve probably that night, we'll serve 150, 200 meals maybe, 200 at the most. Mm -hmm. And it's very organized and we only need like 15 volunteers. Right. That includes taking out the trash. That includes washing the tables. Right. I always got that question. But what, can I just take out the trash? I already covered. <laughs> I got it covered. Uh, that volunteer coordinator really is thinking through all of those things. But I think what you said, the response isn't frustration. The response isn't, where else can I go? But, hey, I really love your organization. What would be a good time for me to get started? Right. So I know for organization, we wouldn't be able to function without volunteers. So they are vital in what we do. And we use volunteers... 365 days out of the year and in every single program that we run we have space and needs of volunteers and so it is really important so you know calling an organization and saying hey I've been reading about you on your website because you know you've already done the homework I think says a lot and I just want to know what the best way I can get plugged in and I think coming at a posture of listening to an organization versus I want to serve a meal I want to with your idea of what the organization needs goes a really long way to the other end of the phone. And, and maybe you end up at the spot that where you wanted to serve anyways, which that's great and that's awesome. But maybe you learned something about the organization you didn't know and wasn't on the website and, and is a need that really fits better for you and for the organization. And so I think as you call, um, or you may look on the website and see that they have a place online that you can fill out a form and they give you more information about how to get plugged in and to to start the process. But I would, at this day and age, I think most organizations are going to have a process. So it's not going to be, I'm going to call today and I'm going to volunteer today or even tomorrow or even next week. Um, There's typically an orientation and an onboarding because the culture of any organization is really important. And so that person that you're talking to is their job to make sure that you understand the culture and what's going on in that, that space and so that you can be a part of it so that you're not hurting what they're doing, um, which nobody wants to do when they go in to volunteer. They don't want to cause more harm than good whenever they're going in. Absolutely. And you think about the kids' programs. Their parents are entrusting them to the after-school program staff, and they trust the organization that we have vetted and we have done background checks, and we make sure that the value that they see in our organization is represented in everybody that will be working with their kids. Yeah, absolutely. So this reminds me of how I actually got involved with an organization. I always said as a volunteer coordinator, one of the most important things I could do is volunteer in the community as well outside of our organization because then I understood the heart behind the people that were coming to me wanting to serve. 
so we were volunteering some different places and then the refugee crisis with Syria hit and we didn't know what to do. We didn't have any more in our giving budget to be able to give. So we said, let's, we know Catholic charities in town, they work with refugees. So I called and just said, I would like to work with refugees. What opportunities do you have working with refugees? Because they have crisis pregnancy outreaches, they have a food pantry, they have, they even have like a a dental and medical clinic. Yeah. Amazing. And they're all over, by the way. So I know like dentistry is not my gift. Let's not put me over there. Let's. <laughs> and I didn't want to work in areas where we were already working. This, this is very specific for my family. Um, and we called and just asked, what are the needs? And the volunteer coordinator called me back and she said, we have like three or four different needs. I was just actually over in their office. They need people to go to the airport and welcome refugees. They need people to set up their apartments. Uh, they need people to give rides. And so we live literally seven minutes from the airport. <laughs> and so I said, and that is something so tangible for my kids to be able to, I just put them in a stroller and we go, put them in the car, get out of the airport, put them in a stroller and we go in. And I asked the lady, is this overrun with volunteers? Cause I felt like that's like in the homeless ministry world, homeless outreach world, feeding, you know, a lot of people want to feed. I figured in the refugee world, it's all welcoming at the airport, but they had no one. So it was a really great place for us to just step right in. And we still do it when my volunteer lead, um, my volunteer leader actually texted me while we've been in Chicago because mm. I haven't been able while I'm here to go to the airport. And so she's been there doing it and sending me pictures of grandma's reunited with grim their grandkids and so I think you bring up something really good as we're talking about volunteerism because it's a question that we get asked often is can my children come along with me um and I think that it's really important um for children to be a part of serving and knowing what that looks like but it also is important for an organization to be safe and to make sure that everybody is protected and so sometimes volunteering with your kids doesn't mean you all going to the organization. Sometimes it means doing the hard work at home and having the conversations about the food that we eat and maybe having a different kind of meal at home to represent what others are eating across the globe when we talk about food insecurity and then using that money that you would have had for a meal to go to the grocery store and buy food. Or maybe that means um, using your family resources to go shopping for toys or clothes um, and giving things like that and talking about it at home instead of necessarily taking them to see it in a um, tangible way, especially when they're really young. I love this opportunity because your kids are, are able to go with you, but that is that's very unique in the volunteering mm-hmm. world. No matter how special and um, well-behaved your four-year-old is, sometimes there's just not a safe space at an organization for that four-year-old to be able to be a part of what's going on. They shouldn't be in a kitchen that's making 600 meals a day with hot pans. So, yeah, I just, so I think that's really great because you found a way that your family can Mm -hmm. serve together, but you also do the work of talking about what that, what, what they're going to and what that means and who these people are. Um, So it can't just be left up to the organization to teach your children. You're teaching your children at home. Absolutely. 
We drive past the exit to the airport, and my son goes, when are we going to get our friends? Mm-hmm. And the other day, we had a family come. He's four and a half now, and he said, Mom, but why does Mr. Moses need to come here? Why? I don't understand why he has to come here. Yeah. And so I was able to explain that some countries are not always good to their people or there's hardship that is just unexplainable and they need a safe place to come live. And generally, our country should be kind to everyone. Yeah. So, in four-year-old terms. Yeah, and I mean, I think any of these issues that you're volunteering with are hard to explain to kids. Why is someone living on the streets? Why is somebody, you know not smelling the way that we smell or why would somebody be hungry or be taken away from their home or not have a mom and dad like those are all hard conversations to have for any family to have so I think it's just important part of their growing experience to have those so yeah and I know when I was the volunteer coordinator I always wanted to encourage parents that uh, we specifically will do some things around the holiday season to make sure that kids can come Mm -hmm. they fill up very quickly but I like you just said we. Yes, I know. I still identify. One of the things I would talk to parents about if we were having a good conversation on the phone. You know, we talk about the things at home that they did. And when I would suggest what you did, going to the grocery store, buying food, I told them, you tell me when you want to come drop off that food at the organization. And I would be happy to make sure one of us is there. Mm -hmm. And um, to give you a 10-minute tour. And specifically to tell your kids how them going to the grocery store and buying canned vegetables and mm-hmm. all of these different things, how that is helping in food insecurity, how that's ho- helping our homeless brothers and sisters. So like you're saying, respecting the nonprofit workers' time, but I know that they want your kids to learn. Absolutely. And they, they definitely love seeing when you are starting that at home and want to support you how they can. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today, Megan, to talk about this. One of the great books people can read is When Helping Hurts or Toxic Charity. Those are faith-based books, but great places to start. And I think that When Helping Hurts is really a good eye-opener to why why I even want you guys to start thinking about how you give and the ethics behind it because we want to make sure when we're giving when we're serving that we're actually helping people and not hurting them and that's hard when I know in my faith and your faith Megan we're told to feed the hungry we're told to do these great things so when you tell me I can't do that it's hard for people to grasp that but there are some ethics and there are some healthy ways to serve this season so I want you guys to think very critically about where you're giving and where you're serving. So let's talk about shopping now. Take a deep breath. Take the heaviness of that off and talk about shopping. Perfect. (laughs) Okay, so tell us about Christmas gifts and some... I know you had some thoughts on where people should shop this season. Because it's November, but people are already... People are putting up their Christmas trees already, so Mm -hmm. there's that. So I think that... 
especially in our current economic environment, people are ready to start shopping for Christmas. And we're buying things for people who already have all the things. And so I think this is is a fun space to be in because we get to be creative about the gifts that we're giving. And so instead of buying them the latest trends, but there's so many different organizations, social enterprises out there that the um, proceeds and the profits of their business go back into a social good. Um, I guess I never defined social enterprise. I maybe one of those terms that everybody knows, but it's a for-profit business. So Be Love Trading is for-profit. Um, and any of the profit that we we have, the revenue goes back into the part of our organization that helps people. And so that's true for any social enterprise. They have some sort of social good component to it. So it, you get to do a lot of online shopping and looking and seeing what might be out there. So um, I just encourage people to be creative with that. Um, and even if it's like, you know, they need a backpack, like there are companies out there that are for every backpack that you buy sends a student to school in you know South America for a year or the old go-to you know the buy one you give one type of model like there's several of those kinds of things out there buying blankets there's a company out there that for every blanket that you buy then they give a blanket to a homeless shelter sometimes it's even the things that you're already buying but seeing if there's um, a company that sells that thing that you could have some social good component to it. And there's just countless of those out there. Even like hostess gifts. We like to give hostess gifts of coffee. You know, Be Love Trading sells, we sell honey, we sell lotion bars, we sell little things that you could take um, as hostess gifts. And then that money is going back towards the good in your own community. Or even if it's a community across the globe, then I think that that matters. So... Absolutely. So tell us, what is a new favorite brand that you've been shopping with or looking at, eyeing? can be they just opened or it can be new to you? Yeah. So I recently took a trip to Nashville and I was I knew about Abel um, and their ethical clothing brand. And so I was shopping for their flagship store and I took a wrong turn and ended up in the parking lot of an organization or business called Project 615. And they... Um, ironically do something really similar to Be Love Trading's screen printing business. And so I spent probably an hour in this like pretty small storefront, but they have a ton of different shirts and they're Nashville centric. So if you don't, I mean, it's Nashville, but the folks that are doing all their screen printing are um, recovering from an addiction or um, recovering from homelessness. And so I just thought that was really cool. And it just really encouraged me that there are other people out there like us doing that. And so it's just a recent brand that I discovered, didn't know anything about that there was anybody out there doing what we were doing. Yeah. So it's really exciting to me. I love how a wrong turn got you there. Yeah. I, it, life lessons, life people. Lessons. <laughs> wrong turns are not always wrong turns. <laughs> okay. Now tell us about a recent purchase that you made. Okay. So recent purchase that I had to make was a car seat for um, my grandbaby. And it has opened up my whole thought process about car seats. They're so disposable, but nobody recycles them. And I need somebody to come up with a plan to recycle car seats because I do care about the environment, especially when you're talking about kids and our future in this environment. And so that's a recent purchase that I have that I keep thinking about. And somebody needs to come up with a solution to how to tear down car seats and to be able to recycle the components because they're only good for five years and you have to replace them. So somebody out there make that happen. Which brings up something, Megan. (laughs) You did not tell us about your family. Oh. I feel like we're 
45 minutes into this conversation, and our people, our listeners, do not even know about your beautiful family. Yeah. So rewind. We said we're coming up to 40, and you have a grandbaby. I have a grandbaby. So This must mean you have a unique family, which is beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I do have a unique family. I am still single, never been married, but was able to have the privilege of having a 15-year-old young lady move into my home. In which we were joking about even earlier today that it was supposed to be for a summer and has turned into a lifelong connection to her being in my family and me being in her biological family as well. She is no longer 15. She's now 23 and she just had a beautiful baby boy about eight months ago. And so through some ups and downs in our relationship of figuring out the messy of life, they are now back living in my house. And so I get the joy of having um, an infant in my house um through her so it's been really fun y'all baby elias is the cutest thing we were having girls night the other night and megan was like but i have baby elias that night and we said sounds like a great girls night to me (laughs) he's the only male allowed on girls night tariku used to be allowed he's not anymore (laughs) okay so then lastly tell us about a purchase you're looking forward to making I mean, aren't we always shopping for new things online? But (laughs) I am in need of some new boots because it's coming up on wintertime and I'm like so picky with boots. I don't want them to hit my shins. I don't want them to be bunchy. I don't want to heal because I'm six foot tall and I just can't find them. So it's a dread and I think I've been looking for like two years for new boots. And so I just keep on the journey of looking for new boots. And the hard part of that is that I know you have a heart to start purchasing more ethically as well. And for us in Oklahoma, like, it's just hard Mm. to spend the kind of money you need to spend on an ethical pair of boots and not know where they're going to hit you. Yeah. And not know how they're going to... I mean, our feet are longer because we're taller. I can't have a pointy toe, people. It just is not good. (laughs) It's not a good look on me. Yeah. So I need to be less picky, but it's a purchase that I'm always on the look for. I feel like maybe you could find this. You just have it filed away and you're out at the consignment store and one day you're just going to be like, look at those boots. You weren't going specifically for that pair of boots, but that's when you find find everything, isn't it? When you're not looking for it, for sure. Yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Anytime. Thanks for listening to all my ramblings and... This is literally what hanging out with Megan and I sounds like. We talk about community development all day long. I didn't cry, though, so that's different. (laughs) But we talk about the guys in the program. Mm. We talk about... We just learned they had this new lotion bar, which I really want. Mm. We talk about... Lavender rosemary. It's really good. All right, so you got a taste of what it's like to be friends with me and Megan. We talk about saving the world all the time, or... Solving problems, Solving for sure. problems, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. So if you see us around, you can ask us about our community development conference. I mean, but it's deep stuff. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Ethical giving from Cultivated Conversations. Megan is one of my dearest, closest friends, and I'm so glad that you guys got to sit and listen to her talk about something she's very knowledgeable and wise about. I would love to hear things that you learned through this episode and maybe how it challenged your way of giving. So head to our Instagram, leave us some comments, head to our website, leave us comments on the show notes. 
Every resource that we mentioned today on the show, we will put in our show notes on cultivated.fashion's website. So go to our show notes, get all the brands we talked about, get all the details about the books we mentioned and the tips that Megan gave. Guys, we're going to be back out just in a couple of days because it's Thanksgiving week and we're all thinking about shopping for Christmas. So we're back in a few days with our ethical shopping guide. Happy Thanksgiving.